you have to be obsessed with something because the moment you stop being obsessed with anything, which by the way, ironically, most people, I think you kind of lose the ability to live. You're just kind of like going day to day, but you're not actually creating any value in the world. Right. And I think we mm-hmm. as human beings need to exist to provide some value to the world. And ironically, you know, the more and more I've done of this, the more I've realized, like I start believing more and more in karma and these ideas of energy where the more you try and the harder you try, luck seems to find you over and over and over. What is up, BA family? Welcome back to another episode of the Breathe and Air podcast, where everyday action meets extraordinary mindset. I'm your host, Mason Bendigo, and today we have the co-founder and COO of NutriSense, Mr. Dan Zavarotny. Today, Dan and I dive into the origin story of NutriSense, what got him here, some of the pitfalls, some of the lessons that he's learned on the way, and in his opinion, the biggest pitfall with how we approach health as a society today. NutriSense has grown at a massive clip utilizing social media, influencers, paid advertising, and other channels to push a product that has affected a lot of people's lives for the better. So Dan and I not only get into a little bit of the health and the wellness side, what continuous glucose monitoring is, what it can be used for, but we also get into the business side of things. Dan's three foundational pieces of business some of the roller coaster of working with influencers, his marketing 101, and some of the amazing successes that he has had in his marketing and sales journey. And then also his love for travel. He's lived in so many different places, really been able to change his perspective on life, take a lot of risks that has landed him to where he is today. And I think his perspective is refreshing and also motivating for a lot of people who are maybe on the cusp of going after something that they truly desire. If this is your first time checking out Breathe in Air, welcome. We're so glad to have you. I hope you enjoy today's episode with Dan Zavarotny. And if you enjoy today's episode, reach out to us on Instagram. Let us know what you thought of the show. We'd always love to interact with you and help tailor the show to something that is beneficial for you and brings value for you over and over again every single week. So thank you guys so much for joining. And without further ado, it is my pleasure to introduce to you the co-founder and COO of NutriSense, Mr. Dan Zavarotny. Thanks, Mason. Appreciate you having me. Uh, Big fan of it. Amazing. So I want to talk a little bit about when you first launched NutriSense and a lost package turned into an employee. What happened? <laughs> yeah, so we were shipping our boxes, we were, our packages to our first 10 customers. We just started, you know, we're begging everyone to sign up and 10 people signed up. And one of the folks, uh, so she decided that she was going to get a job in, in France. And so she got package sent to Arizona. USPS, of course, lost it. And she got on a flight next day, went to France, moved to France. And at the early stages, we were so desperate for customers, like especially when we're trying to raise money because people like, this is a thing that people want, believe us, we couldn't lose a single customer. So, so she basically emailed me. She said, hey, um, I'm going to cancel my subscription. Can you refund me my money? And you know, we're just starting. We're like, no, this is we can't do this. This is not possible. So I just screw it. I told my <laughs> co-founder, I bought a flight at this point. I was living in Chicago. I bought a flight from Chicago to Paris, 
took the package with me, flew there, met up with her coffee and just hand delivered it to her. And I put on her arm and she was like, you guys are insane. What are you doing? Uh, but then we ended up hanging out, having dinner and then stayed in touch for about a year. And then as we finally start getting more and more customers, uh, I remember this person, I was like, Hey, you're, st- you're still, you know, into what we're doing. She said, yeah. Would you ever want to join our company? And she said, yeah. Uh, and we basically convinced her a year later to join. And she was, I mean, this woman's a rock star. She was an Olympic swimmer, went to Stanford, Amazing. you know, like top level creme de la creme kind of people. So it's getting someone who's already very passionate about what we're doing. Plus they saw the craziness in our eyes uh, from our actions. They were more willing to take the risk and jump on to join an early stage startup. And she ended, she was employee number, I think, seven or eight now. And now we're about 107 people and she helped us scale and build a bigger team. So worked out really well. That's that's incredible. It it really hones in on a few things that I've heard you talk about and and people is one of them. How important was it, you know, in the early stages and now as you're scaling and so quickly, how important is the people and the relationships aspect of of the business? Yeah, I mean, I think the part that's important to remember is that there is no business without people. Right? You can have the best idea and you can't launch. It just doesn't matter. Or you can also have the best product in the world. Uh, and if you have bad people, you're going to fail. There's a really famous saying that I, that my dad always shared with me. I don't know if it's popular in the U S as much where it's, you know, it's better to find or better lose something with a smart person and find someone with an idiot. Right. <laughs> uh, and so the idea here is like, I mean, for us, people is crucial, but I do think the critical part here is making sure people in the right places, you know, oftentimes that especially smart people seem to overestimate their ability and their knowledge in every area. Um, especially successful people, you know, you might have someone who's, let's say, a really good doctor. And for some reason now, everyone assumes that person knows history and politics and geography and it's software engineering. So I'm always very cognizant of saying smart and what, you know, I mean, we could mm. easily look at anyone that's super, I mean, whether politicians or entrepreneurs, um, once they become ex- extremely famous, they have an opinion on everything. And people oftentimes take that opinion seriously, but it doesn't mean it should be, right? I mean, I have some friends who are, hedge fund managers, they became multimillionaires really quickly. And now they read one New York Times article about, you know, something about like AIDS or cancer. And all of a sudden they speak like they're experts and they contradict doctors, right? And so I, as we're scaling, the reason I bring it up is that I've made, I've made this mistake and we've often made this mistake. And I've now made a conscious effort to say like, are you good at what specific thing you're good at and making sure you're in the right position? Because you could be in the wrong position. Um, you could be a genius. But if you're, you know, if I'm a marketer and I go to a software engineer, I might be terrible there. And it's important to weigh that opinion on the middle of the topic that you're discussing. Hmm. Yeah, really leaning into those strengths. Yeah. I, I love the idea that we all have, you know, innate capabilities and things that we're really good at naturally. You know, we could be really good baseline, something that somebody practiced years and years and yeah. years for. And that's, that's what we should lean into. Yeah, we had, a, we had one individual on our team who joined the operations team, and we knew she was smart, but she was just atrocious at the job. Like, to the point where we were about to let her go, and at one point, I was like, let's put her in like social media and marketing. We put her in there, and she went from basically about to get fired to like one of our rock star performers. So it's, mm. it's important, I think, for scaling teams, growing teams, even within corporations, if you have a job, like, it's thinking about where you actually fit. And so it's not always about exclusively you uh, relative to just how good are you, you think you are, it's how good are you compared to the role? So it's so important to understand people like, what does the role really entail? Uh, and how do you fit in that puzzle piece?
Yeah, absolutely. I want to talk, you know, about the earlier stages, kind of the genesis of the product itself. I know you had a background, um, you know, in the healthcare space a little bit as well. And, you know, you had a great job prior to taking this leap. So really what pushed you to take the leap into the startup entrepreneurial phase? And, you know, what was the idea behind the product? So from regards to taking a leap, I've always wanted to join a startup or do a startup. Um, but the fear was always, what if it doesn't work out? What if it doesn't work out? Right. And ironically enough, almost every time I almost started, I ended up not starting two, three years later, a company just like that came out and did really well. So there was a point in time where I said, okay, I'm now at a point where the risk is almost non-existent. What I mean by that is I reached a pinnacle of my career where I was making good money, traveling the world. And I knew that if I leave now and the start doesn't work out, I could always get a job. The job exists, right? It's a little harder when you're 22, 23, 24, because you might not have the experience or the network or the knowledge base to fall onto. But once you get to a certain level, you always have the opportunity, right? Mm-hmm. So I always thought about, okay, the risk is not real risk. It's in, you know, it's okay. You don't get paid for two, three years, four years, like not a big deal. Um, yeah. And then you realize from that perspective, I said, okay, timing is better now, but I need to figure out how to do, who to do it with. And so um, I was actually in Silicon Valley at a healthcare conference and I ran into one of my friends and he was a guy who sold his company in a childcare space. They were basically shipping babysitters, people's houses. And they had like 6,000 babysitters on the platform and they got acquired and he was basically like semi-retired to 30. Uh, and I was like, oh, this guy's already sold a company. He's a technologist by background. Let's start. I'm going to pitch him my idea. And I had to pitch him my idea and he said, that's cool, but I have a better idea. And I said, what's that? And he told me about this idea for glucose monitoring real time, which is the idea is basically you track your glucose in real time to understand how you eat and how it sleep, how you exercise, how your stress levels impact your body in real time. And I said, I think that's one of the dumbest ideas I've ever heard in my life. Why would anyone ever want to do this? <laughs> <laughs> and he said, do you even know anything about it? And I said, yes, I work in the healthcare industry. I'm kind of an expert in this area because I'm consulting for these hospitals and insurance companies. Also, my sister's type 1 diabetic, so I've seen evolution of this, but I still think it's stupid. And he said, just put it on. So I went back home to Chicago, got one for my sister, put it on. And within 48 hours, I'm like, dang, there's something here. Mm-hmm. You know, all these things that I thought were healthy for me were just not. You know, I'd wake up and I would drink a glass of orange juice, you know, think I'm getting my vitamin C. My glucose is spiking and I'm eating bagel and carbs and bananas because I'm thinking I'm getting my potassium. And then by lunchtime, I'm crashing. And as a healthy person, I'm basically spiking up and down all day with my glucose, just causing myself consistent harm without realizing what I'm doing. And it hit me. And he said, okay, are you in it now? And I'm like, yes. And I said, this is the moment, right? Like, what, what's a better time than to start a company with someone who's done it before uh, and is the opposite of me? And so then just quit my job two weeks later and we started. Um, the part that I forgot to ask was, what's my role? Because <laughs> he specifically said, okay, then when, we, when I quit, he said, okay, I'm going to build, you market and sell. And I said, I don't know how to do marketing and sales. I do finance strategy. I do you know, acquisitions, mergers, I don't, modeling, budgeting. And he said, we don't need any of those. There's two of us here. Uh, he's like, all right, if you don't want to do marketing and sales, I'll figure out how to do it. I'll go build. Or I'll go market and sell a new build. And I said, what do I build? He's like, software. I'm like, I don't, don't know how to do that either. Yeah. And his question to me is then, what the hell are you doing here, man? Why are you here right now? Yeah. And I asked him a question back, why didn't you tell me this before I quit my job? 
<laughs> and so it was one of those like fight or flight. I went outside, took a walk, got some fresh air, and was like, what the hell did I just do? And then I thought about it more. I was like, you know what? Let's try it. See what we can do here. Uh, okay, again, worse comes worse. I go get another job. Like, I'll survive. So just went on good old Google. Uh, maybe now I'll be ChatGPT going forward. And typed in <laughs> top marketing tactics on the internet. And hundreds came up. I just put an Excel file. First question I asked him, okay, cool. I got these marketing tactics. What's my budget? And he said, zero. I'm like, all right, well, <laughs> that makes it easier. I can eliminate like 95% of these things. So let me 95% of them. And then um, the ones that came up were like Facebook groups and influencers and all those other things. So I just went out and just started like pitching hundreds of influencers through Instagram, just messaging people, DMing, right? Um, and out of like 200, one responded and tried the product. And then we got some traffic. And then I thought about like what worked for that person versus other people. And I adjusted my pitch and I tried again, again, again. And now we're working like 200 influencers a month. Um, but wow. yeah, I think within two weeks, we got to maybe like seven or 8,000 in revenue after starting. And then 20 a month after that, 30 months after. And every month, it's getting bigger and bigger. Um, and once I got the influencers kind of locked down, then I said, okay, what's next? Facebook ads. Now we have some money. Got that locked in and hire someone to do it. Then then Google ads, then hire someone to do it, then content and slow. Just I would go learn a job, hire someone better than me. Uh, and the goal was always to hire someone at least three times better than me. Mm. I think that was a standard I always used because you'd be amazed how people just kind of, they go to work and they just, they're not passionate. And so they do the bare minimum. And yes, they've been doing it for 10, 20 years, but they're not actually that good at it. And so what mm. happens is I, I use a standard 3X because what happens is if someone has been doing this for 10, 20 years and I've been doing it for two months and they're just as good as me or a little better than me, that's a problem. Like, I don't think I'm that smart. Uh, I just got obsessed with topics. And so using that standard really helped for hiring these good people and finding these talents. Um, the last piece I, also, I said it was also critical was that you always wanted to have an expert and that you knew who can almost do like a final screen for the candidate. Because you always have blind spots, right? There is something that experience, unfortunately, can be replaced with. And so you might interview a bunch of people and you might have final two candidates and you're like, it's one of these two, but I'm not sure. Someone who's been doing it who's an expert, just ask them like, hey, can you mind just like double checking for me? Um, yeah. And that's been very critical as well because you can make the wrong decision. And as you know, wrong decisions go in the wrong directions. And then person starts three, six months later, the wrong person, but you now are behind three, six months. Uh, and the mm. part that people forget is that in entrepreneurship, the thing that startups have that corporations don't have is time, speed, right? Corporations have money, so they could do whatever you could do better and fa better, but you could do it faster. So as long as you get there faster, that's really the goal. And so you always have to have the right person on the team and you have to value it really quickly. You mentioned the 3X better than you. How did you kind of weigh that out? Like, could you, you know, what were the metrics there? Sure. So let's say if it's influencers, um, we would we have a test for every single thing. So if it's influencers, I would say, okay, actually your case study, and I will pay you for this, but your case study is go get an influencer. And if it took me a week to get an influencer, you have two days. And what's yeah. awesome yeah. is, what's interesting you do is interviews, you ask people like, okay, uh, are you getting good? Are you good at getting influencer? Like, yes. Everyone said yes. I've never heard anyone say no. And you would ask him, how many can you get? And they were like, 30 a day. I'm like, really? 30 a day? Wow. That's impressive. Uh, and then the moment you say to people, okay, get one. And we'll pay you for just make sure, you know, case study, it's there. And the amount of people, first of all, self-selective dropped out themselves. 
which is already like, huh, you said yes, but all of a sudden it's too hard. And then on top of that, uh, the people that said, yes, I'm going to do a Nash one and try doing it, a lot of people just fail. And then that to them actually signified like, hey, this is not the right job for me either, right? Because a lot of the, like when not getting a job is also understanding it's not a job for you. So if they were able to go three times faster than I was, that to me is 3x, right? Uh, if they're writing a Facebook ad, if they're able to run a Facebook ad 3x more efficiently, or it's either time or money, or three times faster than I was. Understand is this ad working, is it not working? How do I get the graphics? How do I adjust messaging, things like that? Um, so that was really critical for me. Yeah. You had mentioned, you know, diabetics and, you know, then you have the Olympic swimmers and, and yep. it's kind of both ends of the spectrum on who this product is for. And I see wellness tech and, you know, the data around how our bodies work. It's, it's becoming such a growing industry and vertical. And it's, it's exciting to see what's happening in such a short period of time. But for those of you, uh, the listeners that, you know, don't really know much uh, about NutriSense, who is it for and how can it sure. benefit them in their daily sure. life? So maybe I'll give you a little background what this thing does. So there's a device called Continuous Glucose Monitor. It's been around for about a decade, decade and a half. Uh, and this device basically penetrates the skin just a little bit with a microfilament. That then tracks your blood sugar in real time. And there's an algorithm that sends that information to your phone, to your smartphone. So you can know in real time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, how your body's blood sugar regulates itself. And if you take a step back here, really, I mean, we at a high level just consume carbohydrates, protein, and fat. And carbohydrates are broken down to blood sugar or simple glucose is another way to say it. Right. Uh, protein, interestingly enough, uh, actually also, if you have too much protein, will actually convert to blood glucose. People don't realize this. Um, and fat is a third one. So the idea here is anytime anyone eats anything, their body reacts in some way. And I heard a different episode from a, a gentleman in your podcast who had type 1 diabetes, I believe. So he talked about yeah. insulin. And so the blood sugar in your body basically will then be absorbed by the insulin. Uh, and that is what determines how you feel. Uh, if you have too much and you have too much blood sugar spike, your body then releases too much insulin, you have this crash. So the idea here is that you always want to have kind of a steady blood sugar level. Uh, anytime you get out of that too high or too low, uh, you have this feeling of either, whoa, I'm overwhelmed, or I'm I have anxiety, or I'm crashing. And so the idea here is how do we make sure people are able to control the blood sugar in a, like a homeostasis kind of level uh, so yep. they can live a healthier, more steady life? And the idea was basically, okay, let's provide these devices to people, which require medical prescriptions in all 50 states digitally. Number two, build software that actually helps them find the correlations. So just look in blood sugar, it's too complicated, right? And so the idea here is let people track their food, their stress, their exercise levels, mm -hmm. whether they want to manually track it or whether they want to actually combine it through maybe their Garmin watch or Apple watch or MyFitnessPal. So they can start seeing these patterns. And the third part is right. how do we add a health professional if you have a question? So it's not, hey, I have a question. I'm going to wait six months until I see my doctor. It's, I have a question right now. I'm going to ask right now. And health professional can immediately look at your data and respond to you. The mm -hmm. idea here is we want people to prevent getting sick in the first place instead of the annual physicals, really. And it's that's the problem that we're trying to solve here. At the current stage, right now, one in three Americans pre-diabetic. I mean, it's 89 million wow. people. That is absurd. Uh, and the second part is, mm -hmm. you know, you go to your doctor and you ask him like, hey, how are my blood work looks? 
and doctor goes, no matter what it is, whether it's glucose or your you know, lipid panel, whatever it is, they, if they tell you good or bad, if it's bad, they tell you, you need to improve. And you ask them, how do I improve? And their answer is workouts, eat better. But what does that actually mean, right? right? And the idea of eating better is such a complicated topic because based on our sex, based on our, uh, our age, based on our flexibility, based on our ethnic background, you'll see this where people, for example, from Irish backgrounds, consume can consume much different carbohydrates than people from uh, Asian backgrounds. Mm. And they respond completely differently. And we see this kind of things. For example, I can eat sugar, I can eat literally eat a chocolate, I have no impact on my blood sugar. And I eat a banana, it looks like I'm diabetic for like two hours. Right? Really? And it's completely different for other people. Um mm. coffee's an interesting one too, where you know, coffee has a completely different impact on everyone. Some people have a glucose spike because they caught, they have a stress response from it. Some people no impact at all. And some people actually improves their glucose. It makes them feel more comfortable and more relaxed. And so it's fascinating. Like, and that's when people always read these articles like coffee's good for you, coffee's bad for you. It depends who you are. You know? And so the idea here is let's give people personalized information so they can see what's good and bad for them. And they can make decisions themselves. Because mm-hmm. there's nothing stronger than actual mind-body connection where Something happens and you see it literally in real time, not, oh, I read this article in Google that said this and this. I should try it. I think it's working. Maybe you'll try it for a year and see what happens. Versus you do something and immediately you see the response. It's hard not to change behavior right away. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's incredible what's what's at our fingertips now. And, and this is stuff that really excites me because I do feel like a lot of people, they have you know solutions that are natural solutions that are within them that are already there things that they could control prior to going down, you know, your typical Western medicine, pharmaceutical, um, route. So I guess that poses a question for you, someone who's been in the healthcare space and is now, you know, in wellness tech and really, you know, revolutionizing what we as humans have at our fingertips now with data collection and, and what's actually happening, uh, in our biology. What do you think is one of the bigger problems with healthcare today and you know how can we take steps forward to kind of either being aware of that or solving that problem so i mean i think the biggest piece by far is incentives right people are incentivized a lot of times by unfortunate money and so i mean for example i mean simple example of this we have this big pandemic right uh and vaccines are released they're helping whether whatever political stands you stand on it doesn't you know it doesn't matter as much as these companies that release vaccines have the best profitability years ever in their history. How are they making so much profit when people are suffering? Right. And so like that shows you the incentive structure, how broken it is and how messed up it really is. And we have the same thing with, for example, hospitals where guess what? People have shown studies that whenever a hospital is run by a former finance or an accounting guy versus a doctor, health outcomes are worse. Because finance accounting people, my background historically have been, oh, how do we save money? How do we cut costs? What do we reduce? Right? And they forget about the human part of it. They're looking at numbers all day. And so it's about creating an incentive structure that is not focused exclusively on profitability. And I think it's important to take the healthcare industry and separate it. I know we're a capital society, but take, put it in a different bucket. Right. Um, Mayo Clinic, for example. Um, Mayo Clinic uh, based out of Minnesota. I think Rochester, Minnesota, they actually have some of the best outcomes for patients in the world, right? 
it's interesting. They're, they're such a small town. I think it's like 100,000 people. They have their own international airport because people from the whole world come there. And what's interesting is this. Uh, they're one of the few hospitals in America where doctors are not compensated based on number of visits or patients they have. They're just compensated a flat salary with a bonus. And what that does is it creates the incentive for them to help the patient and focus on the patient rather than saying, let me get as many patients through a door as humanly possible, right? That's an incentive against uh, capitalism. And it, it's, I mean, ranked number one hospital in the world for 20, 30 years. And this is why people come yeah. there from everywhere, whether it's Saudi Arabia or Russia or France or Spain or Brazil because of this. How do we create more systems like this in place? Um, it's the education system. You know, you have to, you come out of medical school and you owe four or $500,000 in debt. You're not going to say, oh, let me volunteer my time now uh, or make right. sure you want to optimize and make as much money as you can because you need to, to pay off the debt. And so it's about creating the right incentive structure and looking at healthcare and realizing healthcare doesn't all have to be about profitability, right? Like I understand within technology or banking, those things matter, but here it's a little different. Yeah. It makes plenty of sense. It makes plenty of sense. And and that underlying fact is, you know, what what people need to be aware of because there is sometimes, you know, incentives that don't necessarily align with the patient outcomes. And I agree, it's a it's a broken system in that in that state. But I believe that, you know, technology like what NutriSense is and what other people are pushing is starting to kind of help others realize a more holistic way forward. And, you know, the fact that this incredible human body has a lot of powers to it at the same time. I mean, on that topic, it's fascinating, but like, for example, you know, us produce a lot of drugs and we sell around the world. You could buy the exact same drug in American made drug in Brazil for 10% of what it costs in the U S. So we manufacture in the U S and then we ship it to Brazil and it's sold for 10% of what we sell in the US. Because simply because we're like, oh, Brazilian people cannot afford as much as Americans can. Therefore, let's make it lower. We're still gonna make profit on it, but just less profit. And we have to realize like the human life should not be about profitability. It should be about like preservation and making us healthy. And if ironically, most of these diseases we're talking about, like prediabetes, diabetes, heart disease, these are again invented diseases based on our marketing skills of marketing terrible foods people right making people eat mm-hmm. um 100 years ago type 2 diabetes or heart disease was not a thing right people used to die because uh they overworked themselves they didn't have food at all they're malnutrition they didn't have food and here we have we're dying because we ate too much food like it's a mind-blowing concept that we're literally getting sick because we have too much abundance of food um and so this is a problem that can be solved, but it needs to be systemic. Um, and I think the issue is that there's just too much money involved in place where, how do you remove it? Right. I want to kind of talk about, you know, your journey in the entrepreneurial world and yep. also, you know, the success that you've had outside and this idea of obsession. You know, I've heard you mention it multiple times and, you know, obsession and entrepreneurship sometimes go hand in hand, but sometimes they don't. Right. And I, I believe that, you know, that is sometimes a catalyst for success. So tell me a little bit about, you know, the obsession that you've had. And we kind of you kind of even alluded to it around, you <laughs> yeah. know, learning the skills very quickly and not knowing what was going on to figuring it out. Right. Yeah. What have you learned about yourself and that word in general? Yeah, I mean, I've noticed that 
and I'm, it's interesting, not just me, but I've noticed a lot of folks, a lot of folks who are maniacally obsessed sometimes have more likelihood of success in general. Uh, obsessed success. That's interesting. Rhymes, huh? <laughs> um, <laughs> and so it's, I've noticed that whenever I picked anything and I just focus solely on that, number one is you are no longer distracted, right? And it's, even if you've, I mean, people forget a lot of times, like even if you're not, you know, you only have so much actual mental capacity to do something, right? And so even if you're not, like for people sometimes say like, oh, I just listened to 50 podcasts. I didn't actually do anything but you're processing those podcasts in your head. So if you eliminate all distractions, you're able to just hyper-focus, you're actually able to learn much faster, right? And the goal with obsession and learning faster is about how do you learn faster and how do you do things better than other people, right? My belief started in that to get from zero to 90% of knowledge base at a certain topic, you can probably do in like six months if you're obsessed with it. We could talk about how to do that. To go from 90% to 100, that could take 20, you know, 20 years. But a lot of times, mm-hmm. 90% is good enough. And so how do you do it? I think there's three really steps. One is find every single thing you, could, you can on an internet matter, right? It's, you know, whether it's podcasts, YouTube tutorials, just articles, and you dive into it. Number two is you go do that thing and you break it. What I mean by that is, let's say I'm doing Facebook ads. I've never done Facebook ads before. I'm going to press every single button. Any button that doesn't have a reaction that I want or confused by, I'm going to have a question. I'm going to write down about it. Uh, I'm going to spend a little bit of money, assuming it's going to go down a drain, knowing this is going to be failure and with the expectation of nothing, um, and really just hone in everything. And the third part is, uh, once you run these experiments and do whatever it is, go find an expert who's two to three years ahead of you in that specific field, and then bombard them with questions, right? Yeah. Um, because I think the part that's that's most critical is on your you can learn a lot on your own, but you need someone to give you feedback because it makes it loop faster. Um, there are some things that you might have done 10, 20 times you never even thought about it, but the person could say, avoid this. And it saves you a ton of time. And what's interesting is that if you go down this rabbit hole of obsession with any topic, really, people actually want to help. Because people love seeing, we naturally love seeing progress. So if somebody comes in, they're asking kind of basic questions. And the next time they talk to you, they're asking advanced questions. It kind of invigorates you and it makes you want to help those people. And so by doing those three things, really just just obsessing on the internet, podcast, whatever it is, and then breaking the thing and then getting the expert only a couple of years ahead of you uh, has been really impactful for learning anything. And I, I emphasize two or three years ahead of you because if you get an expert who's like 10, 20 years ahead of you, Things have changed too much. The landscape has changed. Um, his experience might have changed. It might have been fuzzy, right? Um, and you want something that's a little, someone's a little closer, who's so you can they, they still feel the scars and they still remember how it is and what went wrong, mm. and then give you more practical advice, right? Versus someone's like work hard, you know. It's it's too yeah. broad and too general. Um, and so those three things have been really helpful for me learning quickly. Um, but the second part is also we talk about obsession is why do something if you're not obsessed, right? And let's say you have a job and you don't really care about your job. It's fine. But then be obsessed with something in your personal life, right? Whether it's travel, whether it's being a great husband or father, uh, whether it's art, you have to be obsessed with something. Because the moment you stop being obsessed with anything, which by the way, ironically, most people, I think, you kind of lose the ability to live. You're just kind of like going day to day, but you're not actually creating any value in the world 
right? And I think we mm-hmm. as human beings need to exist to provide some value to the world. And ironically, you know, the more and more I've done of this, the more I've realized, like, I start to believe more and more in karma and these ideas of energy, where the more you try and the harder you try, luck seems to find you over and over mm-hmm. and over. Um, to the point where I feel like I've gotten so lucky, it's absurd. Um, I'll give you an example of one, like it's personal life, where me and my friend go in a restaurant and we didn't have a reservation. He said, hey, um, I think we're not going to get in here. I've never got in here without a reservation. I said, we're going to get a restaurant in here. And he's like, how? I was like, I don't know. I'm just a lucky person. Just works out. And we went there. Yeah. We asked for, for a seat. They said, we don't have any. I said, please. And they said, we don't have any. I'm like, come on, please. And they said, okay, we'll find you a seat. And they just made us a seat. Right. And it's like, all I did was ask, please, two times. And they made a seat mm-hmm. for us. Right. And it's purely luck. And it's like, it's repeating. It's a continuous loop where as long as you just like, try to bring positivity in the world uh, while pushing and hyper-focus on it, like it's going to keep recurring and repeating where it just, just happens, right? And so I'm a big fan of obsession. I don't know if I want to yeah. tangent there for you. I'm sorry. <laughs> no. No, I love it. I love it. It's it's practical and it makes sense. It reminds me of number two that you said, you know, finding that thing, learning about that thing, and then doing it. The more you put yourself out there, the more energy you are exuding, the more value you're giving, you know, the more people will be magnetized towards what you are bringing to the world. Exactly. Like then that ends into that energy phase of like, look, we call and it this luck, is what's, right? That's but, what I mean. That's what I mean. And ironically, remember, if we circle back all the way to start, my fear of quitting my job was, oh my God, if it doesn't work out, then I want to get paid, but I, have, I can go get back my old job. Now, after this obsession... I was able to cultivate more skills where I can get, like I have people reach out, hey, come work for us, even a better job than ever before. I don't even need that job. But at the same time, the skills you get to build are the ability to get new things done, right? Um, And when you go try something different, you're probably going to fail. And I think you have to have the mindset of it's okay to fail. And what I mean by that, people say all the time, fail fast, it's okay to fail. But if I, I take it one step back I, one step back even more, and I say, failure is going to feel really stressful. I'm going to have anxiety. I'm probably going to feel like shit about myself emotionally. Mm-hmm. But if I know these feelings are coming and I'm expecting them, it's not a surprise. And mm-hmm. then for when they're happen, it's much more accepting of it. And you almost look at it as a part of the process. Part of the process, I'm going to feel like shit for a couple of weeks, but then it's going to be okay. Right. And so kind of walking through mentally what's going to happen um, really helps alleviate that. And I've actually, I've read somewhere that a lot of like, there's, I think, a positive visualization. People think about like when they're about to do something, positively think about the actions and they're more likely to do well at it. Um, I have the almost like negative visualization where I know this is going to suck, but that's okay. And then when it happens, I'm like, oh, I already expected this to happen. Okay, cool. Right. Yeah. It's like, you know, envisioning the worst possible outcome. So that you're prepared for it mentally and physically or whatever it may be. And then that way, you're doing everything you can for the positive one. But if the negative one comes, then you're ready. If it's better, then it's like, all right, we're good. Well, I'm under the expectation that it's like from the learning perspective or trying something new that it's going to be negative no matter what. Because it's it's like you're, you know, like I'm in Brazil right now and I don't speak any Portuguese. Uh, and I went to the restaurant yesterday and I ordered four eggs in my amazing Portuguese from Duolingo. And I ordered my four eggs, and they brought me four plates with one egg in each plate. 
right? <laughs> and so I was like, all right, well, that's cool, <laughs> right? So I just ate from four plates with one egg each. So, but like I, I knew my Portuguese was bad, and I knew that worst came to worst. Like, okay, maybe I overpaid a little bit, but have an expectation and adding like extra thirty percent budget for mistakes made by not speaking a language. Made me more comfortable with it, right? So instead of saying I'm going to spend thousand dollars, you know, this week, I'm going to spend thousand three hundred, knowing there's going to be a bunch of mistakes. Yeah, we've talked a little bit about the business side, but I want to see personally, you know, for you, what are success metrics as an individual for you? Sure. So, you know, if we take a step back, I, you know, I had a good job where I was making really good money as a healthcare consultant, and I didn't feel happy specifically doing what I was doing because I was optimizing money for hospitals, insurance companies, right? And optimization there is a lot of times at odds with actually providing health value to the world. And so to me, it's either one of two things. One, we get to help a ton of people, you know, and I, I, I don't ever quantify that because whether it's one person or a hundred thousand or a million or 10 million, uh, we're providing value, right? I think so far we've done about 45,000 people already. Um, and people always ask, like, what if your company fails? What does it succeed? It's so hard to direct consumer. And my answer is this. It actually doesn't matter because here's what it happens. When we get to push this around the world and right now in the U.S., a lot of people get to see what this product exists and you realize that there's value to it. And they then go to their corporate company or their insurance company and say, I want that thing. And their insurance might say, we don't have that. So they have to talk to us. Or they might already have with their, you know, their old school, big corporation they're friends with. Then they say, okay, we need you to build the same thing. But by having that conversation get started, they're getting those hundreds of thousands of phone calls reached out to them. They now have to either adopt us or push the innovation upon the rest of industry. So then those partners that already are ingrained into the medical industry, they have to go faster. Because the problem with the healthcare industry, as I mentioned, a lot of these companies have these big B2B contracts, and they may be 10, 15 years old. So what they do is they have an amazing sales force, and they sell these great contracts, and they just stop innovating. They don't care. They're making their billion dollars or $100 million or $200 million a year in revenue. They just don't care. There's no incentive structure for them to push and make this better. Why? They're gonna, their goal is to get more contracts, more contracts, not better. And so now, if all of a sudden, you have people complaining because they've seen what exists they no longer accept the status quo. We're pushing it forward, right? I mean, we're seeing this again with the open AI now. Once it started existing, like, guess what? Google immediately started releasing their version of it right away. Like, what, two weeks later? Yeah. They had it for years, but they didn't want to release it because nobody pushed a boundary. So pushing a boundary is what really gets everyone else as a group, as a society, move forward. And specifically in healthcare, it pushes the whole industry. I mean, for context, when we started this, we were the only ones that did it. And everyone said, you guys are nuts. Why would anyone want to do this? Kind of like my reaction first, as I mentioned. Now there's yeah. like 70 companies trying to do the same thing. People always say, are you nervous? There are 70 competitors. There's so many competitors. I'm like, why? You know, we li- all the tides are lifted. We're all moving together in the right direction. Like they get to help more people. We get to help more people as a society, as an organization uh, floods the whole markets. Um, I think it's a positive. So my goal is that this is adopted across the whole country and more people get access mm-hmm. to it. Uh, prices get cheaper. The whole medical prescription over time hopefully goes away because you know these are things that you can buy a finger stick over the counter. For some reason, you need medical prescription for these devices. So cheaper, faster, more accessible, really. It's an incredible mindset to have. 
right? And I think that abundance mindset that you have in terms of the competitors and, and all of that, it's, it just fuels you know, the ethos and it fuels what NutriSense is and what you're doing and it fuels the mission overall and it, it backs everything that the product is and, and that the company is. So I uh, give you a round of applause for that. It's I appreciate incredible. it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. So you're, yeah, go ahead. Uh, no, I mean, it's uh, people like when they, when they talk about competition, like whenever we have a PR article come out about us, the whole industry gets a boost. Whenever someone else, we do, we see our traffic just skyrocket, one of our biggest competitors. Uh, has a good article come out because the whole industry gets lifted. Um, and we talk about this. I have some friends who start companies that do food delivery, right? Or at home cooking, like Blue Chef um, and some of those companies. Home, I'm sorry, Home Chef, not Blue Chef. Blue Apron and Home Chef. Companies like that. Yeah. And they talk about, I asked them all the time, were you guys scared of competing with against each other? Like, how did you feel about that? And they said, no, we are competing against you going to the grocery store and shopping yourself. <laughs> we're competing against the old school way. We're helping each other in many ways, and that's how we view it as well. All of us driving us forward. Some will succeed, some will fail, but like as long as you move the world forward, it doesn't actually matter in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, you have been in over a hundred countries. You're in Brazil yep. now. Yep, yep. What has travel done for your perspective on life and also on how you run your business? Sure, on life, uh, it's it's fascinating. And we talked about obsessed. I think one of the reasons I probably traveled so much, if we we're looking at a Freudian point of view, is you know I immigrated to the U.S. when I was a kid from Ukraine, and uh, my friends will you know go study abroad or things like that where they travel on their vacation with their parents. I never got to do that, and so finally as an adult, I had some money, and I'm like, you know what, this is the thing that I'm going to do. <laughs> so I got a little obsessed, as you can imagine, and just went to a lot of countries, <laughs> a lot of times. I would even pick my jobs based on can they send me abroad, you know. You know, I would have a job that paid me 50% more, but it was in Chicago or another job paid 50% less, but they sent me to France, Colombia for six months at a time. Um, so that obsession got me exposed a lot. But one of the things that made me realize, like, we have such an abundance of things here in America that we oftentimes for granted, take for granted. Like, even people classified as low-income families in the U.S. are, like, upper-middle class and sometimes even just, like, purely upper class in most, almost most of the world. Right. And so it made me appreciate a lot more life with a lot less things. So I started slowly getting rid of just things. You start thinking about all things that accumulate over the years and wondering, do you actually need this? Right. Um, but from the perspective of work specifically, you know, we are a multicultural world. We're a multicultural society. Uh, our company, by the way, I think we have employees in 45 countries because so we just hire anywhere in the world. We don't really care where they live. Uh, it is important to understand. Cultures are sometimes split in two different, uh, at a very high level, two different types. One is a time-based culture. Uh, the other one is relationship-based culture. So what, I'm, what I mean by that is like the Germans, the British, the Americans, we're more about uh, time-based. So if a meeting starts at noon, you have to be there at noon. People make jokes like a meeting starts at noon, Germans are usually there at five minutes before. Uh, versus like Italians, uh, the Spanish, the Brazilians, they're more of re uh, relationship cultures. So for them, you can start meeting at 12, 10 minutes later and just talk about what you had uh, last weekend for, for dinner, right? And it's a conversation more than anything else. And so the way you get things done is about having this conversation, building that relationship versus purely here, go, 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 and uh, orders. So that by itself helped me understand how to communicate with different types of folks based on their background um, and really adapt to their 
their mindset and where they're coming from. But the second part is that it made me realize that, hey, you can get talent anywhere and you can get talent faster and more efficiently than most people because of this, because I'm able to figure out how to find talented people faster, right? I think there's in the US specifically, there's a talent for, uh, there's a war for talent. And it's very difficult to compete with Google and Facebook's the world that, you know, pay insane salaries. And a lot of times for not too much work, a lot of times, right? <laughs> like, you know, you have the nice breakfast and lunch and dinner there for free. And so how do we compete on a global scale and actually win when we can't pay as much of those companies? And it's the ability to hire globally and identify top talent globally. So that's really translating our company in that regard. We have people from Kenya, Nigeria, China, Ukraine, Poland, Australia, Japan, Brazil, Colombia, Mexico, everywhere. Yeah, it's it's incredible to see it that way. And I feel like more and more as, you know, the world continues to use and leverage the Internet and, you know, us even talking, you know, me and yeah. the U.S. and you in Brazil. I mean, it's it's incredible the connection that we can have so far away. Um, and using this technology as a tool is, it's exciting, right? It's exciting. It's just, you know, the balance between leveraging it as the powerful tool that it is and letting it use us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The one, you know, it's interesting. So I have a friend here that uh, I hang out a lot with, and he actually, one of the things he started forcing me to do is once a, once a day for 10 minutes, we have to leave everything at home and go to the park. And just, you know, just standing with no technology. We're not allowed to bring our cell phones. We're not allowed to bring our iPad or AirPods. It's just stand in nature. And it's been a very calming experience too, right? As mm-hmm. I'm always on the computer, just go, go, go. You know, as you know, my personality, obsessed, obsessed, obsessed all the time. It just calms you down. It just makes you do nothing. And it's, you know, I'm in a jungle-ish area. It almost feels like everything's Amazon here. Um, <laughs> but it really is a calming experience. So again, culturally makes me realize that sometimes the slowing down really helps. I think in the U.S. we have a lot of go, go, go. Um, it's not always yeah. about go, go, go. Sometimes it's important to just take a step back and enjoy the flowers. Hmm. Yeah, it's very important. It's very important. What is the future for NutriSense going forward? What's the vision? Sure. So a couple parts. Um, the first part is start thinking about more of these hardware technologies that exist, right? So it's not just glucose monitoring, but thinking about testosterone monitoring, lactic acid monitoring, so you can start tracking more and more data by yourself so you can own your own data, number one. Number two is um, thinking about how do we save people time, meaning adding more health professionals to the platform so you don't need to go to the doctor every single time, get in a car, drive, sit for an hour, and then you know hopefully they come to you. Like most doctor visits, like last time I read some like 87% doctor visits don't actually need to happen. They can be done remotely. So how do we make that online all the time. So you could save time, the doctor could save time. Um, and a third one is, how do we focus as a company on preventive? How do I identify the risk for certain diseases, or certain things preventively, so it's not reactive? I think we as Americans and our medical system, we're incredibly, I would argue the best in the world at prescribing medicine and doing surgery. But both of those could be, a lot of times could be stopped if you just take care of yourself earlier. And again, it's mm-hmm. it's not people always sometimes blame folks like, oh, you're sick because you didn't eat well. It's not I actually don't believe that. I think it's you don't know what you don't know, right? And so when you're constantly bombarded by marketing everywhere, it tells you something like I think uh what's a popular one? Uh that alternative to milk. Um like there's oat an, milk. Oat milk, there oat milk, there we go, oat milk. There now it's popular, it's everywhere. I think it's a multi-billionaire company, they're blowing it everywhere. Everyone's drinking it. People actually look at oat milk 
drinking oat milk is equivalent to drinking Coca-Cola. There's <laughs> literally the same response. If you look at your glucose, we should see ironically, like exact same response. And you will get sick over time if you drink oat milk. And yet people are like, oh, I'm trying, I'm lactose intolerant. I'm not going to drink this. Or I'm trying to be vegan, so I'm not going to drink regular milk. And they think they're doing a good thing or they think they're being healthy, but they're actually causing more harm. And people yeah. have shown studies that now oat milk is way worse for you than regular milk. And yet they're marketed about it. And if it's going to be another decade until people are like, wait, oat milk's terrible for you? People are shocked when I tell them that. Right. Um, and so really that's the part we want to get to is preventative care where people can see their own data and they can prevent from getting sick in the first place. Um, that's our ambition. Where can everybody find you, find NutriSense, you know, try the product, all that sure. good stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you guys can find me on LinkedIn. I'm always happy to help other entrepreneurs. That's just Dan Zavrotny. Uh, just send me a message that you heard me on this podcast. Otherwise, I'm going to be uh, confused about who's adding me because sometimes people just add you without any background. Uh, yeah. In regard to NutriSense, uh, you can go to NutriSense.com. It's N-U-T-R-I-S-E-N-S-E.com. We finally own the .com. Uh, it took us a while. I think we bought the IO for $7. .com was a lot more expensive, so it took us uh, two years to buy that <laughs> one. <laughs> um, but you guys don't have to buy anything. If you actually go to our journal, we have hundreds of these articles and experience we've seen, uh, we've done with people of different ages, sexes, backgrounds to kind of show you what is good and bad for you. So you can start learning, start getting this journey of knowledge. Um, and don't don't buy anything. Uh, save your money. Learn first before you spend any money so you can get a good experience too. Yeah. Dan, what is your definition of success? I think to, to me specifically, my definition, I think, is just uh, feeling fulfilled. Uh, mm. I love Sundays. People usually say, like, you know, people always say Sunday scaries because they're going to have work on Monday. I love Sundays because on Monday, we get to leverage 170 people to accomplish something new and move forward. And that gets me excited. Uh, to me, I feel like success is right now. Just keep this going for as long as I want, and I can, right? Um, it used to not be like that. It used to be Sunday. Shit, I have work tomorrow. God, I got to do this again. Now I'm like excited. I'm excited. It's you know every Friday. I'm like, damn it, it's the weekend, <laughs> right? <laughs> and I, you know, I have a fun uh, you know life here, but still, I just like it's it's two days where we don't get the output that we want. We don't get to create what we want in the world. Uh, so to me, I feel like I'm happy. Therefore, I feel like I'm successful already, but. That may change in the future, right? Yeah. It's always changing, ever changing. Dan, it's been yeah. an absolute pleasure getting to have you on the show. I'm sure we'll keep in touch going forward. But everybody go check out NutriSense. Go check out Dan and what they're doing. They're going to continue to do. If you enjoyed today's episode, let me or Dan know. We always love to hear your feedback and comment in the subscription below, whether you're listening on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, wherever you're listening. So thank you guys so much for tuning in. Dan, it's been a pleasure. Thank you, Mason. This is awesome.